even at the time when we were working on the show, we would work on it and just go, we're doomed. Nobody's going to watch this show. Doomed. <laughs> exactly. The only thing it was missing was giant robots. What's up, Internet? You're listening to the 22nd episode of the Series 6 Podcast, where we review each and every episode of Adventures of the Galaxy Rangers! We are your hosts. I'm RD. I'm Jay. And I'm tonight's special guest, Cy Voris. Get ready to engage your hyperdrives. This time around, we've skipped ahead a little, and we'll be reviewing episode 24. So just a heads up, listener, the next couple of podcast numbers will not line up with the episode numbers. Things will be numbered normally again within three podcasts. But again, this episode we're reviewing right now is episode 24, titled Renegade Rangers. But before getting into that, holy flip-flark, we have with us today the man whose name doubles as a superhero secret identity and the name of a supervillain, Cyrus Voris. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. I'm so confused. I'm so confused. I was thinking more like a robotic cyborg. Yes, one of my nicknames in high school. Yes, cyborg. Awesome. Okay, there you go. Uh, listeners, Cyborus worked on our beloved Galaxy Rangers back in the day. He did storyboards. He wrote some episodes, two, I believe. And he's been really busy since then. Ever hear of Kung Fu Panda? You bet your skadoosh you have. <laughs> hey, man. How are you? Was skadoosh yours or was that like a Jack Black ad lib? Uh, I believe that was a Jack Black ad lib. Uh, Sounds like something he would do. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, like, we, we're very slow uh, releasing new content. We, we're like the George R.R. R. Martin of podcasts. <laughs> like, uh, but minus the highly anticipated part. <laughs> you know, if I can tell you a Galaxy Rangers-related story yes. to that joke, one of the storyboard artists, one of my fellow storyboard artists in Galaxy Rangers, Looks exactly like George R. R. Martin. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's awesome. He did. He didn't at the time, but now thirty years later, he looks exactly like George R. R. Martin. And I saw him a few years ago, and we were talking about. It, and I he told me that people come up to him all the time and think he's George R. R. Martin, and he even has like a cane and everything. It's 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 hilarious. Oh man! And I said, well, that might be good. Maybe there's a lot of attractive female Game of Thrones fans that throw themselves at you or whatever. And he said, no, mostly people are angry at me because I haven't finished the book. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought this would be a good thing, looking like George R. R. Martin, but it turned out to be an absolute burden. So until George R. R. Martin finishes that damn novel, this poor guy's (laughs) life is hell. So, Well, I mean, uh, pass this along to him. He can offer fake spoilers. Mm. And that oh, would... <laughs> that would be so much fun. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yes, I will tell him that. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> then we'll hear like, stuff on the internet. Be someone new podcast. Like, got this new book. <laughs> and they're going to space. There's a space dragon. <laughs> like, that'd be awesome. He starts inserting like plots from Galaxy Rangers episodes. And that would be awesome. <laughs> oh, that would be weaving amazing. them into the Game of Thrones universe. I would love that. You know what I picked up on? The plot of the movie Avatar, the James Cameron movie. Yeah is lifted the overall plot is lifted from uh, an episode of galaxy rangers it is totally is. which one mist walker mist walker gee i thought you were gonna say marshmallow trees i was trying to think no. of <laughs> galaxy rangers episode ah oh, that yeah that funny. episode was done by the z animation team it was just <laughs> horrendously animated. oh yeah yeah 
Yeah, no, I, 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 you know what, I lucked out. One of the episodes I wrote, I think Renegade Rangers was, if not the A team, it was the B team. Renegade Rangers looks pretty good. It looks amazing. It does. It looks Unfortunately, amazing. the other episode I wrote got like the Z team also. So, that's a- <laughs> but we're just talking about Renegade Rangers now, so it's all good. Right. Yeah. So, how many episodes did you do storyboards for? Gosh, I did a shitload of of episodes that I did boards for. I'm I did at least twenty five or thirty episodes. Wow, um, oh, I did That's a crazy. ton of episodes. The way the way it worked is that the board artists were broken up into two groups. If you were really good at storytelling, meaning you could break down an episode and you were good at picking shots and um, sort of directing on the page a very dynamic episode. Um, that was one group of people. And then other, there were other artists who were maybe not as good as that, but were just, uh, and then they would, their job would be to do tighter finished pencils on the storyboards. So if you were breaking down the episodes, you could work quicker because you didn't have to worry about doing a, a pretty finished drawing of each shot. And so you would sort of do a loose drawing and then you would hand those off to some of the other board artists who would tighten it up and do like, just make it look pretty, basically, uh, to send to Japan. So, uh, and I was pretty fast and I had gone to film school, so I had a pretty good sense of uh, picking shots and breaking down the script. So I, I ended up doing a, a lot of episodes. I was trying to think what my first episode was. It was either the Axe or it was Smuggler's Gauntlet. I know those were both early ones that I did boards on. Nice. But I, I did a lot of episodes. I did Heart of Tarkon. I did... Oh, one of my favorites. I did Ghost Station. I know that because we, we did a lot of... That was like a Scooby-Doo ripoff episode because it yes, was... Yes, it fun. was. I totally said that when we podcast. There's even a, a part where Zuzo says... <laughs> yes. no, totally. uh, murder on the andorian express west ride uh ironically i didn't board my own episode i didn't board renegade rangers um i, I doesn't i don't know off the top of my head who boarded it but i i know i didn't board that one uh but yeah i did it i did a ton of episodes um i was also i i i also i realized i was re-watching some old episodes I had one, uh, the main character designer was a guy named Ed Lee, who did uh, most of the character designs. But there was so much material and so many characters. Uh, and the way the art department was set up, everybody was, it was like a big bullpen, but Ed had his own little office. But it was, we all hung out, it was all very accessible. So occasionally you could submit designs to Ed and if he liked your design, he would incorporate it. Sometimes he would use it if he was just swamped with work and he didn't hate it. He'd be like, oh, okay, that's pretty good. And I think I designed Riker Kilbane's face with it. Like he's got oh, nice. that comic book scar over one eye and he's got like yeah, some yeah. crazy hair. He's got one dead eye. Yeah, so I was I was I was a big comic book fan. I think that's why I really like that Super Troopers and the whole concept. I think they first show up in... Is it Smuggler's Gauntlet? I'm trying to remember where they first show up. But I like the whole idea that Goose was part of a super-powered 
super soldier team and they had all these other characters uh mindnet i think it's oh mindnet yeah yeah it's mindnet that's right right and so so i remember i was well i must have i was boarding whatever the first Riker killbane episode was and i was really into it and they hadn't designed him yet so i had to, a lot of times you were doing boards before designs were finished so you sort of just had to make up a version of the character for the storyboards so uh for some reason, I got really into Riker Kilbane. I thought it was so cool. <laughs> His name was so cool, and it was cool that that is a badass name. I know, right? And 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 he had a good like origin story with Goose and everything. So, uh, He's a super I, trooper Wolverine. Actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I I remember drawing that head and doing a version of that head and submitting it to the great Ed Lee, who I guess took pity on me. I was like, yeah, it's not bad, and I he was probably just overwhelmed with work. So he just like uh, that became the basis of of Riker Kilbane, but other than that, I just did boards, and then uh, and we'll get into the specific episode, of course, obviously. But I I was just boarding all these scripts, and I was uh, I wanted to you know do more writing and get more into writing. And at a certain point, it's like a cliche, but I was like, after a while, I was like, I could write one of these episodes. I know all the characters. I know what they've done already and what they haven't done already. And part of my contribution, maybe because I was a, you know, young, single college graduate, I was like, let's get some more sex appeal into the Galaxy Rangers. Let's get some more female characters in there. So that's why my big contribution was coming up with Daisy Omega. That was you? Yeah. I I had a feeling. Get out. I don't know how they wrote the episode, how they aired them or whatever, but that's the first Daisy Omega episode is Renegade Rangers that was actually produced. They may have aired something earlier with her or... No, no, no. This is the first time. Yeah, so that was that was my big contribution. I, actually, if you look at both the episodes I wrote, the other episode I wrote was Rusty and the Boys, which also was about putting some sex into Galaxy Rangers. Uh, it was Rusty the Female Robot. Uh, now the irony is nobody liked Rusty and the boys ultimately, so nobody reused Rusty, but, uh, Daisy Omega became sort of popular. So I, they, they reused her in some more episodes after that. But, uh, but yes, I am the official creator of Daisy Omega, Irish brogue space female outlaw and love interest for Shane Gooseman. Pretty awesome. That is very awesome, Brad, actually. Would you like to talk about the process uh, of getting an episode created from your perspective? Uh, there were two actual story editors. who would, It was all done out of New York. It was the only, maybe to this day, the only half-hour animated uh, TV series done out of uh, Manhattan, out of New York City. Most, like, especially in the 80s, 99% of those shows were all done out of Hollywood, out of the West Coast. So it was a real rare thing. Uh, most of the art department and artists were all sort of uh, a lot of wannabe comic artists, a lot of young. Everybody was really young because, you know. There's definitely a comic edge to the show. Yeah, yeah, there's a definitely a comic book edge. But, you know, we from the art department at least, we would, I mean, Bob Mandel, who created the show, he wrote some scripts himself. He found writers. Uh, 
a couple of great writers, Brian Daly, who, again, did Super Troopers, did all the sort of Shane Gooseman, developed that backstory, was a established science fiction writer. Chris Rowley was an established science fiction writer. A guy named Tom DeHaven, who was more of a mainstream novelist, didn't really write that much science fiction per se, but I think was a big science fiction and comic book fan and happened to live in New Jersey. Yeah, he did um, One Million Emotions. One Million Emotions, he did Galaxy Stranger, he wrote a lot of really good episodes. Uh, Tom DeHaven, again, he wasn't really a genre writer, but I think he was a fan of comic books and science fiction, and so I don't know how in God's name Bob tracked him down. But so the Bob would get the scripts generated, and then the storyboard artists would get when the scripts were approved, we'd get the scripts, we'd break them down into storyboards, like picking all the shots. Um, those would go back to, Bob would go over the storyboards along with uh, a guy named David Gregg, who was sort of a art director, animation director of the show. Uh, and then uh, he'd give us revisions and we'd do changes, whatever changes were needed. And then... And then there was a weird process because they were being sent over to Japan, to TS, TMS Animation Japan to, for the animation. We had to write these little captions underneath the storyboards, sort of almost describing exactly what the shot was in case for some reason there was a mistake or in case they didn't really understand the artwork. Uh, and sometimes just to, to write the visual effects, because there was a lot of optical effects on the show. You know, whenever Zack would fire his robot arm, or there were tons of opticals. So you'd have to write, you know, visual effects shot, ship explodes in white light, or Zack fires his laser from his arm, visual effects shot. And those would be pasted onto the boards. And then literally... They would just send this giant packet. Oh, and then the uh, then they would have to design backgrounds. There was a background designer, a couple background designers. They would design the ships, the hardware. Uh, they would design all the characters, and then literally they would send this giant, like this giant fat. Maybe they were sending a couple of them, but they were sending these giant fat boxes, shipping them to Tokyo, Japan, with the storyboards, the scripts. Uh, each episode, storyboard script, and all the design artwork, which was a ton of stuff. And then the TMS animation company would take it from that point, and they would go off and animate the episodes. And then we would get dailies back. We would get animation from the episodes that we would get to oh, see. Nice. But this was before the voice recording was done or anything like that. It was... I feel like it was... Uh, I If I'm not mistaken galaxy rangers because they had such a tight production schedule normally for whatever reason galaxy rangers didn't have a lot of lead time i think the first episode aired only a year after we started full-time making the episodes yeah i think i remember hearing 65 episodes were made within 11 months yeah so there wasn't a lot of lead time normally you record you have the script, the script is locked, and you record the dialogue before you send um, the episodes out. From what I understand and what I believe happened, all the dialogue was recorded after the episodes were already animated. 
which is a not the normal way to do it um, and not the best way to do it, but I think because of the time crunch, they had to do it that way. Now, I never saw anything. I saw dailies and I saw animation from the episodes and everybody would be really excited when the first animation would come back and we get to see stuff. But I never actually was involved in the finished process of the music or dialogue because the art department was shut down by that point and it was all post-production and doing that stuff. So I really saw the finished episodes when you guys did when they aired on television. Oh, um, nice. Wow. That's got to be a good feeling, though, to know, hey, that's the one I storyboarded. Yeah, it was fun. The, the only downside is you would always sweat out if you got the A team or the B team or the C team on the animation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, Robert Mandel claims that they could occasionally request the A team or that they could push for the A team on certain episodes that they felt were important. I, I mean, I believe that they probably requested it. From my point of view, in the artist bullpen, it just seemed like it was just random because there were episodes that were great scripts, great design, and they would end up being shitty episodes because they would just feed them off to the C team or D team. And then other episodes that weren't even necessarily a particularly good script or anything, but... But they looked amazing. Yeah, they looked great because they gave them to the A team. So I, I'm sure there were a couple times where... Robert stepped in and made that request, but from my experience, uh, it seemed to be pretty random. Yeah. And you never really knew if it was going to be a good-looking episode or a crappy-looking episode. Um, Which is weird. TMS is like, they're known for having like high-quality work, so like the, the fact that some of their stuff in this series was subpar. Well, I think, again, I think it's the time frame. Again, we're doing 65 yeah. half hours in 11 months, and, and not, like I said, that's from start to finish. There wasn't, like, the lead time. I think TMS worked on the, the sort of pilot demo reel stuff early on beforehand, but once the show got greenlit and funded, there was no time. I mean, that's an insanely short amount of time to do that much animation, so. Absolutely. So why did he do it that way? Was it just to get it out to market or? I don't think there was any. I think it was just. Strike while the iron's hot. Yeah, they were putting together the project basically independently. There wasn't a big studio behind it. And so I think, yeah, I think as soon as they got funding and distribution, it was just like, go, go, go. And I think, again, a situation like that, especially if you're a new company and somebody says, well, can we get these episodes to air in fall of next year, you just say yes. Because <laughs> they're paying you. And you figure out a way to do it. Um, it wasn't ideal, but I think that was the way it was done. Um, we talked about this. The one thing I always think about Galaxy Rangers, and we'll talk about this specific episode, but that, you know, the fact that it's such a cult show and people love it now, um, I think because... It was so crazy in a weird way because it was the first show anybody had worked on and nobody knew what we were doing. And so we were just sort of, and I think Robert Mandel is in the same boat. We, everybody was just doing cool shit that they liked. And we had to fill up 65 half hour episodes. It was a lot of material. You're talking about burning through tons of material in a short amount of time. So the thing everybody talks about with this show is that you don't know what you're going to get every episode. 
one week you've got like a you've got a hard science episode like you know hard science fiction armada rogue arm then you've got a crazy episode like you know moth moose or marshmallow trees oh, I forgot that about that seems like it's done for like 5 year olds <laughs> and then you've got the space western episodes yeah some of the episodes lean heavily into the space western then you would have uh, more comic book episodes, Super Troopers. Every episode was wildly different. Now, the catch-22 is, I think that's why the show has lasted and why people, the sort of Galaxy Rangers cult still exists and why I think it's skewed to a slightly older audience than a lot of these shows at the time, like He-Man and G.I. Joe and Transformers. But the problem is, we knew at the time... I don't know that Robert Mandel knew, but the people on staff, the art staff and the writers, maybe the writers admitted it or didn't admit it, we knew that the show was doomed from a commercial standpoint. Because if you looked at all these other cartoons, all you had to do was watch five episodes of G.I. Joe or Transformers or He-Man, and you would realize that every episode is the same. Kids like the formula. They want to know what they're watching every week. And so those shows, every episode is the same, and there's sort of a slight variant to the uh, formula. But every episode is essentially G.I. Joe fights Cobra or whatever. Every episode is He-Man fights, you know, Skeletor. There were 30-minute toy commercials. Yeah, exactly. And they never broke from that formula because that's what kids responded to kids sort of wanted to know if they liked the show they wanted to just watch the same show every day and there would be slight again slight variables also all those shows for the most part would have a core cast of characters and those characters would be in every episode you notice in galaxy rangers there'll be an episode that's just nico and zach or there'll be an episode that's just goose or there'll be an episode that's just you know buzz wang or or something oh, like that yeah. dude man I, <laughs> I hate that guy i don't know if robert knew any better or like i said we were just everybody was brand new including him to this or if it was just oh i he just had to felt this crushing responsibility as the creator and exec producer that i have to fill up oh my god i fill up 65 half an hour how am i going to do that there's no time to be discerning yeah so as a result I think he just threw everything humanly possible up against the wall. Like everything that he thought was cool ended up in that show, which is great. It made for a great show. But we knew at the time, this is a mistake. If you want this show to be a hit, we should, every episode should be the five Galaxy Rangers fighting, you know, the Queen and the Psycho Crypt or what, whatever the hell the formula is. Just do it every week. Come up with a slight variation, and you'll have a hit cartoon. We knew as all you had to do was watch any other show that was successful in the '80s, and you would quickly realize that we were going about it all wrong. <laughs> the, the unfortunate thing about that is that a lot of those shows don't hold up. Right. Exactly. Well, that's the, again, that's the that's the joke. That's the catch twenty two. Galaxy Rangers was not a commercial success, certainly in the United States. Um, I think one of the reasons it had a problem getting a toy deal was because a lot of the episodes skewed much older 
and much darker and much edgier. And, you know, there were plots and characters that went from episode to episode. It just was much more, um, in its own goofy way, it was much more sophisticated than the other popular shows at the time. Um, and I don't, I don't want to make a, it does sound pretentious. It's not like Galaxy Rangers is the Citizen Kane of, uh, of animated cartoon series. It's just, <laughs> but it's a great show. It is a great show. In our opinion, it's superior to, to a lot of the shows that were out. Oh, well, me. what's the thing that I will, here's the thing. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not true, but it, what, what does hold up, what is good is it holds your interest because there's so many characters. There's so many different types of episodes. Um, it's certainly, that's part of what's fun about it, is you don't, it sort of encompassed every possible cool thing you could think to put in a cartoon show. Um, but I just remember at the time we would work on it and just go, this is, we're doomed. Nobody's going to watch this show. <laughs> doomed. Doomed. Exactly. I will say the only, thing, the only thing it was missing was giant robots. Yeah, you know. That's right. We should have gotten giant robots in there. I'm sure at some point we would have. But it was a great show, and I think it, it set the stage for a lot of shows that happened after it, though. Kind of followed that not having a true formula. Because we know how He-Man's going to run every single time. Yes. Yes. He's, he's going to run sideways. <laughs> exactly. He's going to run sideways. Right up the hill, every episode he's going to lift something big and it's going to be done. Robert Mandel made a point in this interview I saw where he talked about TMS, it was one of the first uh, American shows that they took a contract to do, and they also didn't know any better. They figured, oh, every American cartoon series has, like, hundreds of characters and uh, hundreds of different backgrounds and hundreds of different vehicles and effects. I'm sure at some point they got some show that was like a G.I. Joe or something and realized, oh, this is what we're, oh, this is so much easier than that damn Galaxy Ranger. <laughs> no, I know. I'm sure it is. Oh, man, what else did they do? They were a huge Japanese, they were like the number one Japanese animation company, and then they, again, came into the U.S. And I think Galaxy Rangers was an early, if not the first, an early uh, American series that they did. Because they had done a bunch of... Uh, the Japanese stuff they did was cool. I know they did. There's a Japanese show called Cobra, I think. Yeah, that oh, they yeah. did was really cool. They did a lot of cool Japanese stuff. Cobra's pretty old too. Yeah, that's like from the late '70s or early '80s. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, that's the rise and fall of the Galaxy Rangers. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. I appreciate the insight. Um, I also wanted to mention, like, while skimming through your list of writing credits, I spotted a 2003 movie called Bulletproof Monk, yes. starring Chow Yun-Fat and Stifler. Yes, yes. <laughs> so get this. I'd never seen it before, so I watched the trailer, and I saw that this movie was, like, right up my alley. I, I like the, the martial arts stuff, uh, so I bought it immediately. And there's something that's disturbing at the very end of the trailer, though. Yes, okay. The voiceover guy says, coming soon to VHS and DVD. <laughs> and I'm like, dude. It was 2003. Like, why were they still trying to hang on to VHS? We were still hanging on. What can I tell you? VHS was still <laughs> hanging on. That's the wide net, I guess. We can just yap for a little bit, and then I'll, whenever we're done, I'll email you. So, uh, since we're just uh, yapping unofficially, you guys, 
I have questions for you. So, so tell me about your Galaxy Rangers obsession, or what? How did this? How did this start? <laughs> did you guys watch the show when it was originally on years ago, or what's the deal? Yeah, we were kids in high school, and we would talk about the show. And like over the years, you know, we grew up, and uh, but whenever we talked to each other, we still bonded over the show. Oh, that's cool. So that's how the podcast started, really. And then we wrote stuff that complemented the show, which is hilarious. But and it it, it influenced like you know artists and writers and attempted to start a comic book company and all that stuff in between. So oh, that's cool. All because of Galaxy Rangers. Well, it's funny. I, I, I'm obviously older than you guys, but I'm, I don't think I'm that much older because that was literally the first job I got out of college. Like, I stumbled right into that job. Like, all, all the stuff that happens after school where you're, like, unemployed or working weird shit jobs and doing crazy stuff, I did that a year later because I literally got out of school and like got a job on galaxy Rangers the next day. So I was like, this is something I would want to record. This is just the informal part, but you can ask the questions that, you know, I mean, how did you first, well, the whole joke is I had a friend that told me about, so here's the thing. What I never saw this, but what I understand is they put an ad in the newspaper there was like an ad in the New York Times and the New York Daily News saying uh, animated uh, cartoon series looking for artists. And I mean, it was that ridiculously uh, almost borderline amateurish how they found people. But because they were in obviously New York. Yeah, straightforward. And also because they're in New York, which is obviously a huge talent pool. It was it was. It may have been amateurish, but it certainly they certainly were able to find a, a ton of people. And a friend of mine had seen the ad and got hired. And literally, it was like, you know, go down to the go down to this office, and they're hiring artists. You know, it was like crazy. And and he had gotten a job, and he said, "Oh, you should you should call these people or come in or whatever, and I'll 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 you know you should talk to them because you'd be great for this." And yeah, it was like crazy. The thing about that show, I think one of the reasons it's it's remembered is ironically the same reason it was never an actual success when it was on, <laughs> because it was sort of batshit crazy, and it was all over the place. It had everything. Yeah, it had literally every, yes, exactly. We had to fill up 65 episodes, and the guy that created and ran the show, this guy named Robert Mandel, whose dad, I think was a big shot at ITC. I think he was a vice president or something of the American office of I, ITC, which is a big international uh, distribution company, production company. And uh, you put an ad in the New York Times to get your... That's not the way you put a show together normally, at least in if you have a lot of experience. But But that's sort of what was great is that, you know... He, so he just put everything in the show that he thought was cool. And, and even at the time when we were working on the show, we knew like, oh, this is great. This is also a disaster because <laughs> all you had to do was watch any of the popular kids shows at the time. G.I. Joe, uh, He-Man, any of these shows. And you would see, oh, here's what they do. 
They have a formula. And they have the same formula every week. So every episode is just a slight variation on the same formula. G.I. Joe fights Cobra. That's the episode every week. It's just, what are the variations on that? So while we were doing Galaxy Rangers, we knew, like, well, this is not the way you do a kid show. This is insane. This is like one episode is crazy comedy. The other episode is dark. There's another, there's a horror episode. There's a Western episode. There's a, there's a rock and roll episode. We knew this was going to be a commercial disaster while we were working on it. Well, but I mean, the people who were actually doing all the writing and doing the art and everything, we knew this was, a, this was totally wrongheaded. And yet, that's what was so much fun about doing it. You know, that's why it was so much fun to do. And I think ultimately why anybody's even remotely still interested in the show, what is it, like 40, 30, 40 years later is because of that. So that's the ultimate irony of Galaxy Rangers. The biggest downfall was no toys. Well, that's also true. They had a toy deal that I think fell through at some point. And I don't know the behind the scenes of that. Um... And then I know there were some toys that were released in Europe. I don't even think they were like mass produced over there. It was still like hard to find type of thing. And the only reason I ever, I, I've only ever seen those toys once. And it was because one of the uh, artists on the show, uh, a guy by the name of Dennis Woodyard, who was uh, one of the early storyboard artists, one of the early hires on the show, his dad lived in, uh, lived in France, lived in uh, Paris. And at some point, Dennis went, Back. I don't know if his dad got sick or if he just went back to visit his dad. And it was like a year, probably just the year after the show had come out or, or maybe sort of the end of the run of the show. And he went to visit his dad in France. And lo and behold, he found these Galaxy Ranger toys, these like action figures. But at the time, I wanted to say, Dennis, you should have bought a whole crate load and bring them all back, and it would be great. Everybody would buy them from you because you couldn't get them here at all. They weren't; they were no place in the in the U.S. But he just bought some for himself and whatever. But that's the only time I, the only reason I ever saw those. They're, I think, they're incredibly rare. Yeah, I think there was a real toy deal in it, and then somehow it fell through. I don't, I don't know the machinations behind that. But you're right; there was no toys to sort of promote the show and. And also, like I said, it was it, all the kids shows at the time had a very rigorous formula. And I think the fact that, I mean, you, you look, every time you turned on Galaxy Rangers, you guys know this. You watched it when you were in high school. You didn't know what the hell was going to be on TV. You don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> no episode is like the last. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I love that. And the reoccurring characters that would come in randomly. I love that. Oh, no, it was great. Pretty interesting. You see a, a character, like a side character, that appears in an entirely different role from one episode. Like, one day he's in the Black Hole Gang. The next day <laughs> the thugs in, in the saloon. Right. <laughs> same, same character. Sometimes they even color swap. Yeah, well, some of that was just practical, was just like, oh, okay, like, saving time and money were like, okay, we don't have to design and animate a whole new character let's just take one of these characters and put them in the bar or whatever uh and sometimes that was just uh robert mandel just like sort of having fun like oh let's put this character in it'll be fun you know whatever so it really depended learning for good and for bad for me was just how dependent you are on the the a animation house because they had a uh 
the animation was all done overseas, was done in Japan. Uh, there was a big Japanese company called TMS, which I think it's called TMS, which was like one of the biggest, most successful. With them. So they did the animation, but they were such a big company that they would subcontract out a lot of the work to uh, half-assed animation houses in like Korea and you know, the Philippines, who knows what, what kind of crazy countries, third world nations were being, were animating Galaxy Rangers episodes. But, so the problem was, or the thing that was frustrating from our side, the American production office, is you would have a great script, you'd have an episode there where it said, oh, this script is great, great boards, great character designs, and you would ship it over to Japan, and unless it was done by the the A-level animation team, it could come back looking like absolute crap. We and, have had so yeah. many discussions about that. Well, it's true. And, and you had no control over it because they didn't, TMS didn't care. They weren't looking at the quality of the scripts or the board. They were just like, okay, we're going to, the A-team is going to do like every sixth episode. And the rest of the episodes, we're just going to ship out to people. So you would get episodes that had really bad scripts or were really dumb stories or dumb character design, and they come back that looking amazing because they were animated by the A-level TMS team. And then you'd have episodes that you know everybody thought were great that would come back looking like dog shit because they just shipped the episode off to the tiny republic of Togoland to animate or something. <laughs> so that was the there wasn't a. Uh... You had no choice which episodes got the got the A team treatment. No, absolutely, no. it was totally random. You you it went it went into the black hole of the TMS animation studio, and then they just those decisions were made internally. So that had nothing to do, you know, whatever quality control was strictly on like well whatever pushback Robert uh, Mandel had in terms of like oh this ship looks wrong or you color this character wrong or these effects need to be redone, but you couldn't get an entire episode redone or, you know, that stuff was only effective on a shot by shot basis. Yeah. There was absolutely no, that was pure random happenstance, you know? I mean, it looked for my own experience for the two episodes that I wrote, uh, Renegade Rangers got done by a, a, a pretty good animation squad, if not the A team, then the B team. And then uh, Rusty and the Boys was done by like a D team. So that episode looks like crap, but Renegade Rangers looks pretty good. Um, I think it's the two episodes that I did boards for that turned out the best. I think Ariel. I was just about to ask you. you no, did, I'm you like, did artwork as well for the show, huh? Yes, I did. That's how I started. I did storyboards for the show. That's how I was hired as a storyboard artist. So I did. I didn't do character design or anything, but I I took the scripts for the episodes and I broke them down into shots and worked with the character designers and the background designers and stuff. And and I boarded a lot. I boarded like 25 episodes. I boarded a shit ton of episodes. Oh wow. Because I had gone to film school, and so I knew, like, it was just easy. I could draw pretty well, and I knew shots. I knew, like, close-up, medium. Yeah, yeah. It was very. It was just, it just easy for me to do, and so I was able to work pretty quick. So I ended up boarding a lot of episodes. But I'm thinking, like, a couple of the episodes that came out 
from the A team. There's an episode Ariel or Ariel where it's something to do with Nico. Oh, it was Nico's mentor. Nico's like magic mentor. Magic that sounds mentor. familiar. She goes to some planet and it's, you find out that Nico was mentored by this female sorceress. That episode turned out great. That has really good animation. And there's another episode I did called Galaxy Stranger, which Goose goes to a planet and he's like, uh, he's, he's all dressed in black. You know, sometimes Goose would randomly, for some reason, dress like a, in black, like a gunfighter. Did he have the five o'clock shadow? Yes, yes. I think Ga Galaxy Stranger is another one that I think got a really good animation team. Definitely okay. one of my favorites. Yeah, no, that one turned, but like I said, it, it was just, a, it was a good script, but it also, it was, it just happened to be done by the A-team, so it, it actually looked great. Uh, there's another episode called, I think it's called Changeling, where Goose goes to a prison planet. Uh, I think I told you, is that guy, that one was written by a guy named Bill Wright, who was actually a board artist, who is the guy who actually told me about the job. He is actually responsible for me getting hired. And gradually, Bill, Bill was a real character. He was a real sort of, uh, a bit of an antisocial, misanthropic dude. And uh, he got, he kept getting demoted. Every, every few weeks, he would get demoted. <laughs> and... And, but I think he had gotten this episode through, or he had, you know, I was, I, maybe I inspired him because I was pitching episodes and I said, Bill, you should pitch episodes because you're, you have, you're creative and you have good ideas. And I think they had bought this script and by that time the producers hated Bill. And so he was demoted into, you know, stapling boards together. He was doing some shit work, but you know, they, they didn't like him anymore. They didn't even like the episode. And yet, hilariously, well, it was always a great concept. Uh, Goose on a prison planet it was great. But they hated Bill. They hated the episode. But ultimately, ironically, it was an episode that got handed to the A-Team. So I believe it's a really good-looking episode of Galaxy Rangers because even though hilariously, I and mean, this is a perfect example, like hilariously... None of the exec producers liked it, but mostly because they hated the guy that had written it at that point. But, hey, it ended up with the A-Team, so it's a really good episode of Galaxy Rangers, you know. You're sort of at the mercy of the animation department in Japan. Yeah, I'm starting to see that. Um, but I'll, we'll talk about all this stuff. Look, don't worry. I can repeat all this stuff. I started recording our call like 10 minutes ago, so you may not have to repeat it. Well, whatever you want to do. Like I said, either way. Um, what uh, what night do you guys want to do this next week? Uh, I would say either Thursday or Friday. I want to like give myself as much room as possible to finish writing. If you want to book it for next Thursday, we'll we'll just do that. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me, man. We can make arrangements. All right, cool. Awesome. Well, well, look, uh, it'll be fun. I'm excited. I'm always excited to talk to some hardcore Galaxy Rangers fans. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of laughs. No, it's cool. So I'm excited to see what other crazy questions and stuff you have. But it's good to talk to you guys, and uh, I'll send this to you, and we'll, uh, we'll do this next Thursday night. Okay, listener, this has been the interview half, part one of the two-part Cyborg's Ginormous special episode. Stay tuned for part two, 
where we review episode 24, Renegade Rangers, and learn lots more about Sai's contribution to Adventures of the Galaxy Rangers. Ironically, this is not one for children. And that's my fault. And don't worry, I promise not to make you wait too long for it. Until then, disengage your freaking hyperdrives. Bye.